Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Prodigy, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by three members of this show's ever-expanding bridge crew, Rachel Clow. Hey, Chris. Hey, Rachel. Tyler Monaghan. Hey there, good to be here. And the one, the only, Mr. Cicero Holmes. Mission accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Well, so tonight you might notice that I have temporarily reassumed command uh, because this is an episode that's going to serve two purposes. The first is as an interrogatory for Cicero and Tyler. And secondly, for a classic, if perhaps truncated episode discussion for two of one, the sixth episode of Star Trek Picard season two. But first... We got questions for two of our panelists in Cicero and Ty. And the reason these two gentlemen are on the hot seat tonight is because they were the official debrief representatives to attend Star Trek Mission Chicago, the first convention of its kind that appears to be an effort by Paramount to create a fan event to rival the kind of official sponsorship seen by the likes of the Star Wars Celebration, the last event of which took place in Chicago and which Rachel and I attended. So, gentlemen... Prepare to endure. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space, and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. A question. I hope you're ready. Oh, it's going to go again. Because I didn't, I didn't cut it off in time, so it's going again. But I meant to do that. Yeah, I um, haven't awaited it that long, but I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> so, uh, guys, I, um, I'm endlessly jealous of the fact that, uh, that you were able to go to this show. Um, it sounds like the Star Wars celebration was a really cool experience. And I think that the fact that that kind of an event exists shows a lot of confidence from the people that own Star Wars uh to create like an officially sponsored fan event and i've wanted something like that for star trek for a long time and it looks like that's what this tried to be but first of all i guess my question is uh just kind of general one what was the vibe of the show like uh was it a pretty typical convention with like an exhibition hall series of panel rooms etc or did it have a series of other things going on and i now realize that the perspective of typical convention might be a little different for one of you uh, but please take it away. What what did this show feel like for you guys? Ty, I'll let you go first, man. Okay, well, so you were alluding to me just then because uh, this was my first convention, really, of, of any type. So my uh, expectations were really based on uh, what it said on the website. Uh, this thing called Halo Outpost Discovery that I went to one time that was like a Halo right, sort yeah. of experience traveling thing, not quite a convention. And uh, secondhand stories from friends who had gone to conventions, uh, such as Cicero, uh, who in the past had had uh, experiences 
such as just like running into celebrities and having casual conversations with them. And I think he'll explain why that is. Um, so <clears throat> I was, um, it was different than I expected. Uh, and so I would say uh, you're right on with, there was an exhibition hall and then a series of, of panel rooms. Um, there was kind of a show floor that a bunch of people described to me as being uh, pretty small compared to what you would expect uh, normally from a convention like this um, with like some, some merch areas and uh, kind of, uh, you know, tables uh, with the, the talent uh, at them to take photos and stuff like that. Um, but other than that, I didn't think there was a whole lot going on. And the, the thing I was struck by, uh, and I think, again, this speaks to like my experience going to the Halo thing, which was was sort of trying to do something different. I, like, I definitely felt like I was at a convention with a bunch of people who liked Star Trek. I didn't feel like I was at some kind of Star Trek um, thing, uh, like in-universe thing, right? Like I was asking uh, my wife, Julia, who I went with um, beforehand, like, oh, are they going to have food? Um, and she's like, yeah, they'll probably have like pretzels and popcorn and stuff like that. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I was hoping there'd be like, oh, you can go get your replicator rations and like, you know what I mean? And like order like some Star Trek theme food or, or whatever. Um, and I, th I think that that's a little closer to the Star Wars celebration that you mentioned. I had, I had never attended that. But um, so for me, it was like a little bit, definitely a little bit different uh, than sort of what I had envisioned in my mind. But I don't know if that was because it was really atypical other than probably being scaled down from from what one would normally expect. Well, so before Cicero jumps in, I just just a minor point of clarification. Uh, no, Star Wars Celebration had McCormick Place's finest nachos and pizza right. and, and, <laughs> and churros. <laughs> the only like in-universe experience like what you describe I've ever had was at Star Trek The Experience, which is sadly which no is, longer with us. Okay. In, yeah, some at, at the Las Vegas Hilton and like my dad ordered a Romulan ale and uh for lunch <laughs> I got class M pizza and the wrap of con. <laughs> Wait, uh, did your dad go to Mission Chicago cuz the guy next to me in line for a photo op was describing this exact experience. Oh <laughs> no, no, this was this was the at, Star Trek the experience. At the Star like Trek in, experience. In, I mean, in yeah, yeah, years this ago. Was two, 20 years ago. This is 2002. And uh he said the Romulan ale was okay. Um, <laughs> but uh the the waiter was called the ambassador and your bill oh, wow. was the damage report. So <laughs> like, they were aiming high, but unfortunately yeah. the convention experience uh, has not come close to, to well, replicating. Good that. news no on the Romulan ale front from the good folks at Star Trek Wine coming later this year. Ah, um, all right. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so Cicero, you are the uh, the convention veteran, as it were. Um, so, well, yeah. What, what was your assessment? Especially of the two of us, um, you know. So, uh, so your initial question, you know, was it was it kind of the t typical convention fair um, or where there's, you know, special things just for Star Trek. Uh, the answer to that, to those questions is yes. Right. So um, it was a uh, convent, you know, typical convention uh, where you get convention food and that, that, that type of deal. Uh, there were plenty of panels all three days. Uh, there were vendors and then there were the celebrities that had autograph signings and what have you. Um, so all of the things that you would normally see at a convention, you know, a convention that uh, you and I have both attended at, at McCormick place, you know, like C2E2 or, or uh, something of that ilk. Um, uh, what's funny is Ty and I offline, Ty likened, he, he made the analogy of 
this being feeling like a theme park um, where like there were there were a lot of vendors and then the rides kind of were like the, you know, getting the autographs and that kind of thing. But like you just stand in line for a long period of time and then, it you know, it's it, it like the your enjoyment level will vary wildly at the end of that line. Um, well, you're being the, more more positive. I said it was like going to a theme park when all the roller coasters were closed. closed. That is true. That is true. <laughs> right. Um, but what's what's funny is, though, that like the experience in terms of the food that you were th- I, that you were thinking would happen that you would see is more like a theme park and less like a convention. Um, so, which, you know, which kind of funny to me, but like um, what, what I will say about uh, mission Chicago was that it was very intimate um, with, in, with respect to its size and by comparison to other conventions that I've been to, even conventions at, at uh, McCormick place also um, produced or, or uh, uh, staged by by Reed Pop. Um, this was probably if you you know you've been to C two E two. This was probably a fourth of oh, wow. the size okay. of of the main floor of C two E two. And I you know I think there were there were a couple of issues right like there were a couple of things that that went into that. One I think inherently Star Trek is is something that is less popular and mass than like a Star Wars celebration um, in terms of, you know, in terms of fandom. But I, but I do think that Star Trek can pack a house. Definitely. Um, we've seen that before uh, over the years, plenty of times, but I also think the bigger, the, you know, the bigger elephant in the room was COVID and, you know, COVID he- hesitancy. Um, and I'm, you know, we'll talk about that later on, but I think that Reed Pop and McCormick Place did an outstanding job of making people feel comfortable um, with being there. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were, you know, they, they, they did everything. And this was, this was my first convention. My last convention was also at McCormick Place, um, but it was February of 2020. Uh, the the last C2E2 um, that was going. So this was my first time being in a larger crowd. Um, and uh, what I what I was very happy with was that um, the space was intimate and the crowds weren't, it wasn't as full as it could be. Um, so there was definitely space to walk around. You never really felt like you were crowded. Um, there, there was, there was, Lots of breathing room, which which was great. That's good. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, when I first heard that this event was going to take place, uh, I have the same perception that you do just in terms of Star Trek's fandom is very passionate, but it doesn't have the numbers that something like Star Wars does or the a general comic book convention mm-hmm. would. And I mean, McCormick Place is one of the largest complexes in the world. Right. And I was wondering if like there maybe there would be a mismatch between the size of even an official Star Trek convention and the size of that venue. But would you say that for the space that it occupied, it felt reasonably well in line? It did for the time, right? Like I, I I think, uh, I think that, um, I think that it was like, probable that they could have 
put more stuff in there, but I think they were mindful of, of making sure that people felt comfortable, right? That there was space between everything with respect to where we were in in the world as they were planning this, right? Because you know this this has been in the works for over a year, but in in that time, actually over two years, um, in that time there has been lots of flux in, with re, you know with respect to what you could do indoors, how you could do things indoors, capacity indoors, um, and and I yeah I think uh, Ty. Ty may be right. He he asked me uh, if this was maybe the smaller McCormick building. It may have been, but there definitely was a partition in between. It, and it also may not have been. I'm not even sure because it looks so different, right? Like, because it was, you know, because it was so much uh, more truncated than I'm used to uh, seeing McCormick Place be. So, I, I, you know. It, it it could have been a different building, uh, you know. I'm not sure, but that also speaks to the size of McCormick Place. Um, and uh, but but I, I I do think that the that the convention was appropriately sized. I think that if it was any larger or any more dense, it would have risen. It would have made my anxiety raise a little bit more. Sure. Um, and well, so, yeah, and I know yeah. that that was something you were concerned about, justifiably right. so. But I, I will ask you about that component of it uh, shortly. What I am right. uh, more curious about is just the the event schedule. So, Cicero, I'm, my understanding is you went for one day. Correct. Okay. And Tyler, Correct. how many days did you go for? Yeah, I also went for only one day Sunday. Okay. All right. So what was what was that day like? Like, was it all just like promotional stuff, or were there other fun engagement opportunities, either with fans or with franchise representatives? What did you guys spend your your time doing when you weren't on, like, uh, in the exhibit hall, for instance? Uh, I went to. I spent most of my time in the exhibit hall, and you know, and uh, so Sunday is a gift and a curse um, because it is the shortest day. Um, so, uh, like. As you get your bearings, uh, even in a in a a smaller space, as you get your bearings and you kind of see the things that are there, uh, the time just kind of gets away from you. So I got I saw one panel. I got to talk to a bunch of different celebs, you know, getting autographs and and sundry things that we'll talk about in, in a little bit, and and walked around the um, walked around the exhibit hall at some of the actual exhibits that you know we'll we'll talk about also and and saw the vendors and then you know before i was you know before i blinked three times it was pretty much the day was over so um there was there was enough to do even in the space that that uh compact i think if i was there for two days i would have been able to feel like i've i saw it all and was able to do a lot of things but in one day there was there was more of it than there was of me and time. Sure, Ty, what about yeah, you? Um, I did not quite feel the same way. So my day <laughs> started at the Prodigy panel, and I think a big part of the experience for me um, was uh, something we might talk a little bit more about later, which was just a kind of a, a fan that I uh, sat next to that. Uh, did not have a good vibe, uh, was not really enthusiastic about uh, Prodigy or, or the panel, it seemed like, and uh, kind of just, you know, 
didn't start my day off on a very, uh, very good foot. Um, and then from there we had a, uh, my wife and I had a Kate Mulgrew photo op scheduled, uh, at kind of a weird time that sort of precluded us from doing, um, a whole lot of other things. But by the, by the time we got done with that, I was sort of ready to go. And I felt like I had sort of experienced everything that there was to experience without going to, uh, more panels, um, so for me, it, it felt a little sparse. And again, I was I, part of that is my own fault. I was unprepared for the fact that there would not be much to do without paying additional money other right. than some panels. Um, but yeah, I felt like you could sort of see everything there was to see on the floor from standing in one spot. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I felt like one day did it for me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, that's... A little disappointing to hear, but especially for your first convention experience. But uh, hey, uh, you, you kind of led into the substance of my next question, which has to do with the vibe of the attendees. Because, um, you know, one of the things that I really remember, um, obviously, you know, conventions, uh, they were pretty common, a common part of my life as a comic book retailer. And, uh, and even just as a fan, I mean, the very first convention I ever went to was when I was six years old and it was a Star Trek convention in Bakersfield, California mm-hmm. and, uh, gave George Takei a very hard time. Um, but he was a good <laughs> sport about it, at least based on what I remember. But, um, you know, fandom now as everyone on this panel is, is perhaps painfully aware, uh, there's there have been some darker corners of fandom exposed over the past several years and one of the things that i remember most about going to the star wars celebration really after uh let's say fandom turned to the dark side to put i don't think there's really any other better way to put it um rachel seemed very uh happy about how because star wars fandom is a whole other beast and can get nasty but for the Star Wars celebration, everybody was just in a great mood. Everybody was in high spirits. You know, there was a movie that, that was going to be coming out at the end of the year, which, you know, but right, at the right. time, you know, well, hype was great. super excited about yeah. it. And um, the experience on the floor was good, but it was a very crowded show. Um, but you, you were pretty happy with just the general way that people conducted themselves, weren't you? Yeah, well, it just reminded me that uh, my perception of what people think is very clouded by the way that social media algorithms present to you certain uh, opinions that the algorithm knows that you will hate because you'll be more likely to look at it, you'll be more likely to engage with it. And so you get a distorted view. You think that there are many, many more people who have these opinions that you hate than there actually are. And just in real life, seeing people that, you know, were just loving everything and there was some, you know, somebody who loved every single part of Star Wars at that convention. Um, So I just, I really enjoyed that, that, uh, you know, that there are, but there's probably a lot more people who love the things you love than who hate them. It's just, yeah. And, and kids too, you know, like it's hard, it's hard to get more pure, I guess, than a kid who has no access to Twitter yet. But uh, so, but that just invariably leads me to wondering like outside of that rather unfortunate soul you sat next to Tyler at the, at the prodigy panel, 
what was the vibe like of the attendees? Was everyone in pretty high spirits or was there signs of the fandom discontent that can bubble up in Star Trek Twitter? What, what What's the general assessment of how that went? You know, I saw a good number of, you know, starting at the security line uh, all the way in uh, some fun cosplays, um, you know, good, good smattering of just like the classic TNG uniforms and then some other, uh, you know, more involved uh great outfits i really liked <clears throat> i really liked the cue the judge outfit with like the red yes. <clears throat> yes. robe and the octagonal hat um sort of thing that he has um so that was that was really cool to see um yeah i would say other than like i mentioned uh that one individual and i did read a write-up that somebody uh, also in the lower decks panel sort of got in a jab at at the other star trek shows that are on by uh asking uh mike mcmahon i think is his name right the showrunner of lower decks um you know would you would you consult on the other shows to get them to be as as good with canon as you guys are on lower decks or something along those lines um maybe that was asked by the guy i was uh, sitting next to but overall <laughs> uh yeah i think the, the vibe seemed seemed really really good um i, I do like i was in the prodigy panel like i mentioned and it was a couple of the the uh, producers showrunner guys um and uh kate mulgrew and one little girl got up to ask a question during the q a and kate mulgrew then asked are there any other children in line and moved them to the front of the line and gave them a fast pass so all the rest of the q a um was children asking questions and that was (laughs) awesome like cicero and i have talked before like you've agonized cicero about like who's the audience for this show and and like there weren't a ton of them but there were definitely some kids who were there who like the show uh who enjoy the show um and so that that was really really cool um and so the vibe definitely in that room with the panel for the most part was good um and you know just a lot of positive interactions with just sort of uh people walking around they had like a life-size doll uh you know from prodigy doll rel uh (laughs) cosplay that was like official you know it's like so i guess it's not a maybe that's not a cosplay but it was like uh very high quality sculpted thing. I think Cicero, you got a photo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've got, I've got a photo. With it. But I awesome. did see at one point, this guy in a Starfleet uniform, he was like, Oh, can I get a picture? And doll pantomime, you know, he had, he's not speaking. He's got like a handler who speaks for him, but he pantomimes. Yeah. It's okay. And the guy, like he just, I mean, he just died. He collapsed and laid down and plopped down on the floor with his tongue sticking out and his arms all askew. <laughs> and like, that's how he wanted to have the picture taken. And doll is just standing over this guy's, <laughs> I mean, body Confused. like, like, yeah, with his arms <laughs> up in the air, like what's going on. I, I don't know what that was all about, but it was really funny. Um, oh, so, you know, there was a lot of, uh, of fun stuff like that, but, um, you know, like, like I mentioned opportunities for that kind of interaction are sort of limited to what you kind of just, you know, who you choose to interact with in the free flow of the show floor. And I was like, at some point on their website, they had mentioned like an escape room experience and like different things to do. And like, again, this is like maybe not what a convention is, but just throwing it out there, maybe it should be Um, (laughs) (laughs) that, uh, you know, like I, I didn't, there weren't really any, 
I'm a socially anxious person. I don't really like, I'm not really comfortable meeting new people. That's why I like uh, following Cicero around because then I, <laughs> he breaks the ice with everybody so that I don't have to. Um, but so it was, you know, I, I kind of admired a lot of people's costumes from afar and there seemed to be uh, people in good spirits, but I, you know, I'm not as much of a social butterfly who was like out there talking to people um, and, and getting the temperature. But uh, yeah, it seemed, seemed pretty positive from, from where I sat. Yeah, I, I um, I've got to say I, I've got to give a special shout out to a friend of the show and and uh, multiple contributor Dan Decker, um, who um, really kind of shepherd shepherded me through um, my day there. He had spent the entire weekend there. He drove up from Arkansas, uh, and and he was like, he should have had his own damn table, right? Because <laughs> because. He was also a celebrity. Like we walked up to yeah. vendors and the vendor was like, oh, wait a minute, you're Dan Decker. Right. And he was, and, and they got excited. That's uh, awesome. To, yeah. To, it was to awesome see to see Dan. Yeah. He could have used yeah. like an assistant following him right. around. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I got to hang out with Dan um, and, and Dan really made everything better. Dan makes everything better in, in general, but um but he really made the day great and part of the reason that he made the day great was because he's great but also because he was surrounding himself with great fans of the franchise so that you know people that came from all over the country to come and celebrate here in Chicago um this franchise that we all know and love um from you know from all 60 years. And, and that was what made it even more fantastic. Um, and, and as a result of being with Dan, I got some once in a lifetime, uh, memorable moments, uh, some of which, you know, some of which you don't know yet, um, that we'll, that we'll get to. Um, but yeah, so like, uh, just hanging with Dan and, and, you know, just kind of doing, doing my thing on, on the convention floor, I was able to meet exhibitors and, and, uh, people from all over again, from all over the country that were just absolute delights. And, and another thing that I want to point out, especially, well, specifically from our day, and I don't know if any of the other days were like this, I was, um, just overwhelmed and, and just, uh, heartened by the amount of people of color, the amount of marginalized folks that I got to see that were huge, that were in cosplay, that were, uh, you know, that were there and just passionate, passionate, passionate about, about this franchise that we all love. That's um, it, oh, it was that's great. Yeah, was I do great. just want to echo that. That was awesome to see. They were really conscientious about having like ADA accessible lines for everything, yes, and it yes. was really cool. While we were waiting for the photo op, like I don't, the photo op line system was super duper confusing. So I don't know if they were going in to do a photo with Kate Mulgrew right before we were, but like there was just a line of like mostly really old and really young people on their, uh, you know, their wheelchairs and scooters and stuff like that, and and like several of them were were dressed up and just looked really pumped uh to be there and it was like really you know it's just i mean inclusion is important and it's a part of what makes star trek star trek so it was cool to see that you know happening in the real world where you know the convention is it, like it's not always the same thing like they don't they have money at the convention for example right, <laughs> sure, right. yeah 
Right. So Itic was on full display. That's nice to hear. I mean, you would hope that that would be the case, but it's it's very heartening to hear that that uh, that was in play in the experiences that you guys observed, and uh, wouldn't expect anything less, honestly. So glad glad to hear that they hit the mark in that front. Um, well, the we are still embroiled in uh, in a global pandemic that has now persisted for over two years. Um, and you know, you, you guys have alluded a little bit to, uh, the way that that might've changed the, the dynamic of this event in particular. And I can't imagine that COVID protocols would be good for anxiety either. Um, but you still, you know, you, you still decided to attend this event and overcome, uh, those components that I know I would certainly be concerned about in this environment. And Cicero, I know you've been, uh, very, very conscious of where you were placing yourself in in relation to the fact that these uh, these issues are still persisting. So, what was this event like, considering the timing and the pandemic? Would you say masks were reasonably prevalent? Did it seem like attendance may have been a little depressed? It sounds like that was probably the case, based on what you said. Or uh, did this m- maybe seem like uh, things were getting back to whatever normal? can uh, be defined as I, I think I think it was a little bit of both um, because you know f- well first off Ty and I were both only there on Sunday so there's you know there's no telling what what the attendance was like on Friday and Saturday on the on the you know the bigger days where more celebrities were there um, you know there there were more things going on the the news was breaking on those days, uh, more specifically than, than, than Sunday. Um, so, so that came into play, but, but I, again, I want to, uh, take the moment to, uh, to really shout out, uh, Reed pop and McCormick place, um, for the protocols that they did have in place. So, um, they were checking vaccination status before you entered. Um, you were given a, uh, if I'm not sure what happened if you didn't have proper uh, proof of vaccination, but they were also testing, um, doing doing temperature testing and what have you um, before people came in. But I don't know what the circumstances were for that because I I didn't get tested, but I you know but I am fully vaxxed and boosted, um, so I got a green wristband. Uh, which, you know, I think, you know, Ty also got, but you saw a lot of green wristbands around. Um, when you were inside, um, masks were encouraged, but not necessarily enforced, except for in the spaces with the celebrities. Um, and the, but a lot, lots of people did wear masks. Um, some people, some people did not. There were lots of times where I didn't. Um, but Ty, Ty was wearing his the entire time I saw him. So, um, well, I have it, a it, mask that I bought from Star Trek shop.com and it's the lowest quality mask ever, but it makes a good cover for my mask that actually does do something. So I figured right. <laughs> I, if I can represent Starfleet. Yeah, there you go. There while, you go. while doing it, right. uh, then, then all the more reason to mask up. Yeah, I did. Uh, I kept my mask on most of the time. It was a little bit weird uh, going to a photo op, uh, like with Kate Mulgrew, um, where, because it's a photo op, you would really like to have your face exposed. And from my perspective, it's only a few seconds 
from her perspective, <laughs> that's a whole huge block of time with a whole series of people coming in unmasked and, and you know, the cumulative uh, potential exposure there is a lot bigger. So the, 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 that was like definitely on my mind and something I was thinking about. But, you know, ultimately, it's not it's not my job to do anything more than comply with the regulations that they have, um, you know recording this when we are in april 2022 um you know it's worth saying that where we are locally yeah there was no local you know there was no legal requirement or anything like that that we wear the masks um the signs that they had were still up and very specific about what kind of masks were allowed and not allowed but the language at the top had been changed to uh, these are strongly encouraged, not these are required. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a mix, you know, but uh, ultimately I think for me, um, I was never in close quarters with people, even when I was in the panel room that was fairly full, um, you know, the chairs were spaced out enough. It's a very, you know, it's a super high ceilinged, uh, like auditorium style room. Um, and the panel, you know, goes for about an hour or so. So, you know, I didn't feel uh, really preoccupied. Like it wasn't weighing on my mind the whole time that I was there other than, like I said, uh, taking the photo op um, with, with somebody else. Um, But yeah, because of those, because they were checking the vaccine status and um, that was pretty important to me. Um, And just because of kind of where we're at right now, I was able to sort of feel comfortable wearing my mask and not really worrying too much about it other than that. Yeah, sure. you know it's funny. So I, I, people can't see this obviously, but I'm holding up a red and a green wristband, and these are from an event that was put on by the company that I work for last September in uh, in Texas, uh, which I had to go to for for work purposes. And it's funny because they say on them there, I, there was also a yellow one that I I think I've got it somewhere, but the red one says social distancing. Contagious. Uh. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Rachel. So the red one says social distancing. So don't, don't approach basically (laughs) (laughs) the yellow one says caution. And then the green one says handshakes and hugs. So it's funny because like, uh, by far the, of the little pool that you can grab all of them in the green ones were, uh, in most limited supply. And it's like, people were just ready even in September of 2021, to uh, to get back in the groove of things, I wore the yellow one, um, and I, it, it seemed just perfectly appropriate. But I saw a lot of people with overzealous handshakes and hugs, uh, and I hope they're all okay. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, um, you know, this is inevitably, I think, um, what a lot of people have been waiting for your greatest memories from the show, whether in interactions with franchise luminaries, which could include star Trek mission, Chicago MVP, Dan Decker and friend of the show Um, fan discussions, maybe both. What are the, the greatest memories and stories that you guys would like to share with us and our debrief audience? Yeah, I think uh, at the Prodigy panel, like I mentioned, um, there were some wonderful children asking questions. And the first, the first uh, young lady who came up to ask a question uh, was doing a cosplay as Naomi Wildman, and it oh. was incredible. She was exactly wow. the right, uh, you know, exactly the right age. Um, you know, she had the little, uh, so she had like kind of a sparkly pinkish purple dress, um, and had the outfit and she had little, I don't know how, you know, she had 
the little spikes on her forehead. Um, so it was pretty amazing. Her mom or whoever was with her was dressed as uh, seven of nine. So definitely some, some good influences going on. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That, that gets going places. But um, I actually don't remember the exact question that she asked, but you know, like I said, it led to a series of other children asking questions. Um, and my favorite was uh, the one child who goes, you guys keep talking about the show and you keep saying they're all kids. But what about Jankum Pog? He literally has facial hair. (laughs) Everybody on the stage totally shifted into like, let's adult explain it to him mode. And like, instead of being like, yeah, kid, that's pretty funny. Like, good observation. Everyone was like, well, you see, son, different species can age at different rates. And so maybe he's young, but he's still. And I was like, come on, give it to the kid. Um, But uh, the, the other great thing that was a running thread was Kate kept asking one by one she would she would the kids would ask their question uh and then you know they would toss it around and they'd chat about it and then kate would say to the kid uh who's your favorite uh character or or, you know crew member on prodigy and one after the other three or four kids in a row said murph and this was really like getting under kate mulker's skin you can tell (laughs) so she would sometimes ask like a follow-up question she'll be like but murph just says gibberish he doesn't really say words that you can understand is that is that what you like about him and and eventually she'd she'd let them go um but but finally she tried to ask i think it might have been the same kid who asked about jenkin pog but she tried to like phrase it in a way that excluded murph she was like okay but which character do you listen to the most you know like what do you really like pay attention when they're speaking and the kid's like uh i haven't watched the show uh and then so like the whole audience like groan some adult should have like prepared him to like not go up there and and say that it's gonna be uh trauma for the rest of his life but he goes but from everything i've seen I would say Murph. <laughs> and you could just see Kate Mulgrew give up at that point. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's funny. She should have just said, okay, so who do you listen to the most and why is it Janeway? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> she kept also they put the doll, uh, the costume doll was up there with them on the panel and Janeway was really giving it to him. Like she was like, Doll's not a very good captain. And he would sort of like start gesticulating and she'd be like, sit down, sit back, please. (laughs) (laughs) She had to give it to some, some kid. Yeah. Couldn't give it to the real ones. She was, she was was in command of that panel. That is for sure. (laughs) With that facial hair. Um, this, this was a great time uh, for me. It was, it was a great, it was a great day. I didn't have enough time. Um, I had a blast, uh, bef- well, um, thanks in part and no small part to Dan Decker. Right. Um, so, uh, getting to hang out with Dan again, um, this is the second time I got to hang out in person with Dan. The first time was, was actually in my home, in this space that we're in that, that you guys see me in right now. Um, and, uh, so we, we got to do, do some Chicago shenanigans in uh, mission Chicago, which was awesome. Um, but, uh, so one of the first things that I got to do was hang out with, uh, three key members from, uh, the NX one enterprise, um, from Star Trek enterprise, Anthony Montgomery, uh, Dominic Keating and Connor Trenier. 
Um, and I got uh, Anthony Montgomery's autograph and was sitting and 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 talking to them about uh, uh, well, both Connor and Dominic have their own podcast. Uh, so we were talking about podcasts and what have you. And and I happened to be wearing a shirt that that uh, Dan Decker made that said Trip Lives. So uh, <laughs> so so Connor Connor uh, definitely got a kick out of out of that. Uh, that was it was great to uh, to be able to to do that. And then uh, the the next thing we got to do or the the headlining thing that we got to do was was a, a bucket list item that I didn't I I never dared to to even dream of this but but the day the Saturday before everything uh before I I went um uh Dan texted me and said hey uh, I've got a photo op with William Shatner I can bring three people. Do you want to come? <laughs> right. And I'm like, uh, yeah, well, duh. no, no, I don't want to, no, I don't want to meet Captain Kirk. Uh, <laughs> so we went to go meet Captain Kirk and, uh, it was, it, it's a great photo, right? It is, it is a photo with me and my buddy and, and, you know, James Tiberius Kirk, um, William Shatner. Uh, but he is in between the three of us is a giant piece of plexiglass, which again, I understand. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it was a little bit disappointing that we weren't able to get closer and didn't have enough time or, or a lot of time with him. Um, but it was, it was very machine-like. We, we went in there, he looked at us, we looked at the camera, they said, ready. They took a picture and they kicked us out. Um, so, uh, it, you know, it happened, but, there is a picture of me in with William Shatner in the same photo. Uh, so, and, and on purpose. So I'll, t- <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. Um, the, the next thing that, that I got to do that was, was another bucket list item thing that I didn't think I would get to do. And, and anyone that is a, a fan of this show knows that was it was definitely on my bucket list. Uh, Dan says, "Oh hey, we've got to go and hang out in Doug Jones's line because I got a photo with him, but they owe me an autograph. So we've got to wait for, to get the autograph." And I'm like, okay, so we go and in. You in Doug Jones's line, everyone is really is super excited. Uh, Doug Jones, he was wearing the green wristband. Uh, Chris, yeah, Ty. No, uh, go ahead. I'm just really, yeah. really excited for this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, um, so he's wearing the green wristband because he is hugging and fully embracing folks. Right. Like he like the the amount of love that Doug Jones was pouring out was making me both overjoyed and very uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> because right? because he he really he was like protocols be damned. Right. Like I, like it it was only OK because Repop went through so, like such a rigorous uh 
like test, not testing, but like probing to make sure that everyone that was in, in the building was fully vaccinated and, and, and was as safe as possibly they possibly could be. Otherwise what, um, Doug Jones was doing was, was terribly (laughs) unsafe. Um, because, uh, so when it was our turn, it was me, Dan, and and Dan's friend Sean, who is now my friend. Hey, Sean. Um, yep. Shout out to Sean. Yeah. So uh, we were getting ready for Dan to get his hug from Doug Jones, and I I got to speak to Doug Jones. Sean says to me, "Hey, if he hugs me too, can you record it?" And I said, "Okay, yeah, sure, right." But you know, the only person who paid money for for this was Dan. So like, <laughs> he's only Doug's only gonna hug dan and so doug sees dan who uh they had taken a picture the day before dan's wearing will wheaton's uh rainbow shirt that he designed that (laughs) and doug doug really loved um so he remembered dan they they're conversing dan introduces his friend sean after he fully embraces dan kisses dan on the cheek and and pinches his cheeks. He <laughs> like Doug didn't have the green wristband. He had like the green bodysuit. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, uh, I and then he goes to hug Sean. So I'm now recording Sean and and uh, and and Dan and Doug Jones fully embracing, like you know, long long lost best friends. Um. Then Doug comes in to give me a hug and I'm like, Oh, okay. So Doug comes in. He, he wraps his arms around me to give me a hug and I grab him with one arm and, and I don't, you know, guys, I don't know. I like, I don't mean to brag, but I'm a great hugger, right? (laughs) I'm a great hugger. So, you know, like I give the same kind of like fully warm embrace bear hugs. I'm a big dude. So I wrap one arm around, Doug Jones and Doug goes, Oh, and he goes, Oh, wait a minute. And he resets himself and he wraps his arms around me. Then he wraps his legs around my waist and jumps into my arms. And I pick up Doug Jones and the entire line starts cheering. <laughs> it was an incredible moment. An incredible oh, moment. Um, I got to tell Doug that um that I you know I got I got a cameo from him that he was very gracious um to give uh, about discovery and he was very very sweet about remembering that he that he had done it. Um uh, but also, uh, you know, I was able to to talk about my love for Captain Saru and and how much I really wanted Saru to be the captain, and he was able to tell me that he had he did not want that. He was he was the the fan club of not Captain Saru because that was too much work, um, and that it was always supposed to be Sinequa, and uh, and he is very 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 happy that Sinequa is in the main chair and he is not. Um, but he was just, just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful human being, um, and it was it was great to be able to to have that experience. Um, and then I guess the 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 last experience 
that I'll talk about is I went to, um, prior to going to it, uh, I was sitting and talking to Anthony Rapp, our very own, uh, um, you know, uh, Dr. Stamets, you know, scientist extraordinaire, uh, you know, aloof mycelial network navigator. Uh, and uh, both of us, we, we follow each other on Twitter or, yeah, yeah, you know, Anthony Rapp follows me on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but, 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 uh, you know, we, we, uh, both all are, are have a, a lot of affinity for Dungeons and Dragons and rolling dice. And, um, he was on a panel. They, they do a thing called Disco, Disco Dice, I think it's, or Disco and Dice or something like that. It should be called Disco Dice. Um, but they had a panel where they did a, a short one shot and it was him. Ian Alexander, um, oh man, I, I, uh, Noah and, oh, I can't remember who the last, the last two were on the, on the panel. Uh, but they, they, they got to, uh, to do the one shot and the one shot was awesome. It was, it was so much fun to watch. Uh, and, and then I got to sit and talk, geek out about Dungeons and Dragons with, uh, with some Star Trek people afterwards, uh, which was awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, it was. It was just just a great day. And then you know we didn't even talk about they had the the trophy room from Picard. Oh man, I was yeah. just I was. It's so funny. I was just about to bring that up that we hadn't mentioned that yet. They had right. the, so all the skulls on right. the little uh, plaques and right. the Borg skull. Yes. Uh, was named one of two. One of two. One of two. Yes, the Borg skull. The episode of, of Picard yeah. that we are here to discuss yeah. today this is, of course, is called the... Two of One. Two so, yeah, I thought that was yes. really, really yes. interesting. And shout out to, uh, I think it might have been Sean that actually noticed that first, or, or maybe Dan. Yeah, it sure wasn't me. Yeah, somebody. Yes, <laughs> it was Sean. It was shout out to Sean. Yeah, that he. Yeah, he's, he mentioned that, and there was a. There was an enclosure for Strange New Worlds in in the center um, where they had uh, the actual uniforms for for the entire crew um, and uh, a model of the of uh, the Enterprise seventeen oh one and uh, there were some other ships and and phasers and. Like history kind of, of, art and of stuff things like that. Yeah. and yeah, production art, but but you know, lots and lots of of uniforms to give you a sense of of who these characters are and what they will be wearing, um, as well as a trailer that was sitting on the outside of it. It was a you know good amount of space for that. Uh, there was also a uh, a chair, uh, a a Strange New Worlds captain's chair, oh, with, with a green screen behind it. So that you could sit in the chair and and uh, be the captain uh, for a photo. Um, let's see what else there were. There were uh, what was really unique was all of the vendors that were there, and because it was so intimate, they were really able to to hone in on this. All the vendors that were there that were selling wares were selling Star Trek themed wares. Everything was Star Trek themed. Um, so there were official boots. There were uh, official worn, uh, screen worn, or at least uh, screen props from or uh, or uh, 
tryouts or costumings um, from from those shows that are going up for auction that we may be able to talk about in a later date. Uh, there were boots. The official boot bootier of the of Strange New Worlds was was selling boots um, at the show. There was a a a like fashion forward Star Trek themed uh, jacket maker there um that had uh incredible jackets i think uh, ty's wife bought one um and uh there was someone that that they built tribbles there are um they had small ones and large tribbles and uh i bought uh for for dan as a thank you for for an incredible day i bought him a large tribble that he is named john um and then you could go 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 uh Go find pictures of John on 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 Twitter, um, and there was the Star Trek Star Trek wines was there, and they were selling um, their. You could get half a case. They were selling the the main the star of the show was a uh, Picard Bordeaux from uh, the Picard. Chateau, Chateau Bacard, but it's there is an actual vineyard in Bordeaux called Chateau Bacard. So they were able to get the Chateau Bacard label from the show on one of their Bordeaux bottles. So this is Bordeaux wine from the Bordeaux region of France from Chateau Bacard for Chateau Bacard. Wow. Um and uh and there were four other or five other wines that the, that were made specifically for uh Star Trek wines uh and they sell a case uh, half a case six bottles just for the show for 300 bucks no shipping. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um well, I mean, so so yeah, for that what it's was, worth, I do know that like really fine French wines can be like into yes. into four yes. figures a right. bottle at times. I wasn't kidding either that uh, Romulan ale and Ryzen wine are coming later this year from them. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And in, in incredible bottles, right? These are these are definitely um, I think you know, that's not only that's what it's all about, right? I mean right. not maybe only if you're a they... wine person you'll you'll right. buy the wines repeatedly, but I think the goal is to get Star Trek people to at least pick up a, a couple different bottles and have those those bottles as cool collectors items because they are yeah, pretty they're, incredible. They they're really really nice. Um so yeah, there were there were uh, oh there was also um uh, I don't even know what company this was, but they made Borg cube PCs. Oh yeah. They're amazing. Um, there was, so there was a, a, there was a, a Borg cube and then there was the, uh, another one that was like the reclamation cube from Picard season one. There, so, uh, yeah. So like there were two distinct Borg cubes. Um, but the but the star of the show truly and tongue completely in my cheek right now was the NFT pavilion. Oh um, lordy, the, right. The Star Trek NFT pavilion, which had uh like it had surround sound and all this other stuff, but they they were like the NFTs were these holograms in the corners. Um and but then there was a a, a 270 degree video screen that showed different things, but it was all about these ships 
NFTs that you that you could purchase for two hundred and fifty dollars. Well, it wasn't really about anything. I mean, it, it was yeah, really that's, that's it true. was a really poor job of marketing what they were trying to market because you, sister, after the show, texted me and said something about the NFT booth, and I said, "Oh, I must have missed that." But here are these pictures of me in that weird hologram wall room. And you're like, that was the NFT thing that I'm talking about. Those holograms, they were like representing NFTs that you could buy. And I was like, oh, that was not, I mean, it wasn't even hinted at from anything, any, anything or anybody that was there. They just wanted to take cool pictures of us, which was nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Wow. So, yeah, I, I mean, and, and to be fair and frank, that that was a, a a almost complete tour vendor for vendor of of everything that was there excellent well um yeah you guys haven't diminished my jealousy but you have illuminated what the event was like so i really do appreciate that i did have a couple of other questions but i think that you guys have pretty much already touched on uh on what i was going to ask you so um, I, I think uh, if I can say one thing, yeah, I just I think that um, when it comes to Seattle next year, the event provided you know the world is in a better place. I think the event will be uh, much larger, much more grand, and and capable of uh, entertaining many many more people. Um, so I, I think that given what we get, what we could have gotten. What we got here in Chicago was really, really good. I think if you know we're grading on a curve, I give it a, a solid B plus A minus. Excellent. Great. Uh well, um, Cicero, you've been to PAX, haven't you? Yes. I so have. you're familiar with the facility that is going yes. to house Mission Seattle. Yes. Um, certainly not as large as McCormick Place, but a pretty capable facility. It, very many levels. Yes. A lot of levels yeah. in that place. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'll be very fascinated to see how, how many levels are filled out by, by Mission Seattle, but uh, I'm, I'm already highly anticipating it just because it's been so long since I've been to a dedicated Star Trek convention. Um, so the fact that it's coming to my backyard and hopefully some of my friends are coming along with it just makes 100%. it all the better. Yeah. So... And my daughter is going to be uh, three years old by that point. And I imagine she'll accompany us for at least one of those days. Yeah. So we'll have that to. should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we might. Well, I mean, you've already, got, you've already got our cosplay ready to go. Our, I our did friend see some former, kick-ass trills. Uh, I'm sorry. Our friend and former, uh, you know, yeah. uh, panelist or co-host with us here ali uh did mention that they had some fun programming that he did with his daughter about uh with like the science consultant uh who works with the the star trek shows about like making her own planet and drawing a planet and stuff like that so i thought that was cool there was some kids uh programming to do so hopefully oh yeah yeah we forgot to you forgot to say that that, yeah ali uh, so ali nagib who was uh you know friend of the show was was also there on sunday but he had come also on saturday with his family um, so his, him, his wife and his two daughters, um, went on Saturday and then he returned on Sunday by himself. Uh, so yeah, so he was able to do a bunch of like family oriented things on Saturday and then he was able to do his grown up Star Trek thing on, on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, didn't, uh, add you into the fray, Ollie. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was great to see you, man. There's a lot to touch on, but, yeah. um, yeah. no, well, 
we are going to move along, but thank you very much, gentlemen, for your perspectives on on Mission Chicago. And another shout out to friend of the show, Dan Decker, and uh, much obliged for enhancing the uh, the day for for our panelists here. Uh, and if you come out to Seattle, let me know. But um, yeah, well, we're going to actually forego a news discussion for now. Um, a fair amount of franchise news did emerge out of Mission Chicago, but uh, we do have an episode to talk about. And we're going to probably move a little bit faster just because these gentlemen will need to go to bed at a reasonable time this evening. Um, Rachel and I are on the West Coast. They are not. So uh, it's a little bit later in the evening for them. So we're going to move along with a discussion of episode six of Star Trek Picard season two, two of one. So we're going to go a little old school with this episode discussion and do kind of what we did in the earliest days of debrief and go quasi blow by blow. Um, But uh, you know, I would love to be able to have the time to ask all of the panelists uh, individual questions, but I think I'm just going to go to one of you for, for each question uh, just to, to move things along reasonably fast. And so that you can uh, go to sleep, but uh, uh, as in those old days, you know, a very big thank you to the editors of the star Trek Picard season two article at Wikipedia, which is the source of this episode summary, along with a few minor edits by yours truly. So We'll begin now uh, with the Queen's help. Agnes Gerardi gives Picard, Talon, and Rios access to the gala. There, Picard is confronted by Dr. Adam Sung, who alerts security that Picard is dangerous. Agnes and the Queen cut the lights and create a distraction by singing a jazz cover of Shadows of the Night, and the resulting rush of endorphins experienced by Gerardi allows the Queen to take full control of Agnes's body. So... I think the biggest thing to happen uh, in this part of the episode, in this third of the episode, is the assimilation of Agnes's mind. But the interplay between she and the Queen was definitely entertaining to watch. Ty, I want to throw this to you. What did you make of this specific dynamic as it was developed in this episode? Yeah, I mean, I can see what they are trying to do. And I agree that it was played as this sort of fun, um, you know, it's this devil may care character possessing this person's body and she's going to go out and have a crazy night on the town and do crazy Borg queen stuff. Um, So like, I thought they played that well, but I'm just not sure that I get it. I mean, I really, really didn't like Gerardi's singing distraction thing that did not distraction. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, her obviously. (laughs) No, yeah, sorry. Obviously her, you know, the quality (laughs) of her singing was, was amazing. Um, but I just totally like, didn't, didn't get the scene. Um, I, I didn't understand why the band joined in with her. Um, and then they all kind of congratulated each other and smiled and (laughs) nodded at each other, like job well done when the song was over, instead of like, who the hell is this lady and get her off of the stage and we're all going to get fired. Um, security was really, really relaxed for like a NASA, you know, astronaut attending (laughs) event. Um, but uh, I just am not quite sure I get why the queen would like, okay, she can start with Gerardi and rebuild the Borg from here, but I don't get why it wouldn't be a higher priority for her to, to fix the timeline just the same as everybody else. And, and I said this in the last episode of debrief, and I think maybe there's something I still just fundamentally don't understand about this whole 
time travel plot of this season but like to me it was fun to see that interplay between agnes and the queen but it seems to suggest that we are in for another episode of agnes and the queen hijinks and i don't i don't want another episode of that right i want an episode (laughs) where we figure out what q did to the timeline and we fix it and we go back to doing star trek stuff so sure well uh even though there wasn't anything to steal, it seemed to me like this episode had a bit of a heist vibe to it just because of the infiltration into the gala, even though apparently the security wasn't as great as it could be. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, but Rachel, did you find that everything having to do with uh, the gala, did you find that was entertaining enough to justify this detour from the core plot? Or do you feel a little bit closer to Tyler in the sense that, let's get back to things here you know yeah i mean this episode definitely felt like filler which i think was the first thing you said after it was over it it was so i know you think that too (laughs) um i i guess it had a heist vibe at the beginning but i think that was like very quickly resolved and then it was just sort of like moving the characters around from like point a to point b in the plot it felt like so it was just sort of like a connector episode um and yeah i was a little bit disappointed i thought that there could have been you know like party heist uh, could be more fun than it was in this episode definitely yeah sure anybody have anything to add about uh just the the infiltration falling away and the character interplay that was kind of at the core of this part. I, I do agree with Rachel. I think the heist thing, I think actually thought the most heist like moment happened at the end of the previous episode where Gerardi intentionally gets caught by right. Kind of just acting right. like a irresponsible alcoholic or something like that. So that was a <laughs> lot of fun, but yeah, it did seem like they sort of yeah dispensed with that dynamic sort of early on. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, I you know, I think it's funny that this episode was called Two of One because I do feel like there was a lot of uh, hand-wavy magic that was happening there. So, you know, um, it, it, they're, they're like the whole – that whole sequence, it was fun to watch. But, like, they create a – they create a power outage, and I, I'm using they for, for the Girardi-Queen combo um, – they, they they create the power outage and then use the power outage to start singing and then everyone just automatically knows what to do, right? Like the lighting guy knows what to do. The band knows what, you know, like it just becomes a musical. It was um, like, uh, I always point out whenever we watch the beginning of Batman and Robin that when Freeze is walking in the, yes. in the museum at the beginning, there's a spotlight on him. Right. It's like, why is there a spotlight on Mr. Freeze? <laughs> Right. Got a spotlight something. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I do think that the the security the security at this event treated it like uh like uh you know the guys over at Reed Pop and McCormick Place treated everyone uh, once they once they had that green wristband on, like oh there were no like once you're in, like uh you can do whatever you want. There's no odds barred. So, so open bar. There's yeah. no expense. Well, uh, well, let's move along to uh, the second third. So Q, having taken the role of Renee Picard's therapist, stokes her insecurity with text messages, and she begins to flee the party. Picard finds her and convinces her to go through with the mission by talking about his mother, who also loved the stars and also had mental health struggles. So this is clearly supposed to be an important moment where 
Picard is speaking to his trailblazing ancestor and giving her a classic Jean-Luc pep talk. However, you know, the same question kind of, is this enough to go on what still kind of feels like a tangent and getting away from the core problem that all of these people are here to try and solve? How does this whole dynamic between the Picards, Rene and Jean-Luc go down with you, Cicero? Um, you know, it's fine because the writers say so, right? Like, uh, this, this episode, it, it is weird. Um, I don't know if I came out of it and said, oh, this feels like filler. Um, I, I just said, man, this is, this, this was a wild ass episode. Um, but, but like, it's, it's weird to me that we're six episodes in. This was the sixth episode. Yeah. Right. So we've got four episodes left and we still don't really kind of know what's going on. Yeah. You know, like, um, (laughs) uh, like if you, if you're, if you're going to do a serialized plot, like we, you know, we can't spend two thirds of the season trying to figure out what the problem is. Um, because then you run into the same problem that we've had classically with with all of the shows or at least from my perspective uh what we've had with all of the shows which is that they're like they they try to cram too much into the ending um well and yeah so like this is you know it's there i do totally agree with you and for me it also just begs the question like if you're cramming something to the end what is it is it just restore like it's it's undoing whatever q did and things are back to Yes, all the other Star Trek shows that we have watched did indeed happen that way. I, I just don't, you know, that's not a fulfilling ending to the season to I me. Just, so it has to be something else. But I don't quite see. I, what, I don't. I, just, I don't quite see what we're building toward at this point. I know? just thought of something. What if? What if we're empiring? What if this is Picard's empire? Right where we leave we leave this season with the story unfulfilled with this arc unfulfilled and it builds into what we already know to be the last season of Star Trek Picard. Yeah, they've alluded so they a little bit to that even on debrief, I think. Right, that that uh that they, you know, that this we may not get, you know, they may still be in 2024 by the time oh. we get to episode 10. Say it right? so Right. Like, I mean, there, there is that possibility um, because they like they have made no secret of the fact that not only uh, will there be a third season, but it will be the last one. And all of these people will be on that in that season. So um, if we've got, you know, if we've got that going, if you already know that there's going to be a next season, then. Why not leave a crazy cliffhanger? Why, like, why feel uh, the pressure of of confining your story into these ten episodes? Because ten hours is just not long enough to tell a cohesive story, guys. Duh. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get to that sure. component when we talk about just the end of the episode. But um, I, I certainly want to talk about uh, these continuing revelations about the mental state of Yvette Picard. Um, 
Is this a line of thought that makes sense to you? And I'll go to Ty first, but I also want Rachel to chime in because of the two of us, she's probably the Picard family scholar, considering Mm -hmm. some of the materials that she has absorbed in the past. But um, Ty, let's start with you. Does it add to the discussion that the season clearly seems to want to have about the mental health issues and how they apply specifically to this family? Did they need to add these questions to Yvette? when Renee could have served for a vehicle for them, or is it still determined? Yeah, it's really strange. And I, you know, I'm very much not the Picard family scholar. I do remember in an early episode of debrief this season, they did mention something about, um, you know, that Picard is not necessarily a reliable narrator and the flashbacks that we're seeing are flashbacks that he's experiencing, but are not necessarily, accurate depictions of what really happened. Um, And if I remember right, there was even a picture of one of his flashbacks in this most recent episode that had kind of a, like a monstrous figure, like somebody who, who looked almost like a horror movie type of uh, character or figure just for a split second that looked really like out of place in the universe that we're sort of familiar with. So um, it seems to me like, I agree that they are trying to talk about this. I'm not sure if they're trying to have a discussion about it, or if they're trying to sort of beat around the bush about it for now, because I really cannot figure out what exactly they are uh, trying to say at this point. But yeah, they clearly do want to bring like mental health into this season somehow, but I can't figure out what they are doing with it at this point. Um, it's, it's all still pretty hazy for me. Sure. Yeah. Well, Rachel, what do you think about just this family as a vehicle for this kind of a discussion, but also the new history they're applying to Picard's mother and all of this? Yeah. I mean, what you're referring to with me being a Picard family scholar is that I read the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard, which of course is like based on all of the um, like, at that time, canon materials that were available to the author. So obviously they didn't mention any of this Yvette Picard having some sort of nebulously defined mental illness, which seems to be (laughs) what they're implying here. Um, So yeah, I, I, I really liked the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard. I like having it in my mind how it was. And so adding things to it, I'm kind of like, I don't like that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then I I guess I agree with Ty that I don't really know what they're trying to go for with this whole mental illness thread and that it seems kind of like Renee Picard is like, you're nervous. Just get over it. Like, (laughs) like, um, and they don't really have, I don't see where they have a, they're having a lot of, uh, of perspective or anything in particular to say other than, uh, you know, Jean-Luc Picard to give her a pep talk about how, you know, you can, you can do it if you're struggling, which maybe is supposed to be aimed at all of the rest of us who may be struggling. You know? <laughs> we could do it guys. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm I'm all about Picard pep talks in general. This just seems like maybe a, a clunky way to get there, but uh, like at some point in my life, I'm gonna watch that scene just, and I'm gonna be like, yeah, no, you can't, I can't do it, thank you. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
All right. Well, uh, into the final third of the episode. So Adam Sung sees Renee and Picard walking together outside and attempts to run over Renee with his car. Picard pushes her out of the way, but is hit by the car and knocked unconscious. After returning home, Sung deliriously rants at Corey. She investigates his research and learns that she is the only one to have survived of the many apparent clones that he created. At Teresa's clinic, the doctor that uh, uh, Captain Rios has become acquainted with over the course of the season, <laughs> Talon decides to enter Picard's mind to help him wake up. So before I toss it to everybody here to give a final grade for the episode, I just want to say that I, I'm, I'm getting impatient. I did not, outside of like the, the stuff with the queen that I thought was the most enjoyable, um, it, it's time to move on. It's time to, to progress this story to show us exactly what this is about and what the problem is that they need to solve. Um, the, the, the gala, the running over the car, particularly at the end, all of this just seems like, like filler material. And like Rachel said, it was the first thing that came out of my mouth as soon as the episode ended. It's just like they're, they're prolonging the point at which they need to start setting things up for the way that this is going to end. And I think I feel this more acutely because I know we all know that season three is the last, the last go around for this show, which also means that this is the, these are the final, what, uh, 14 episodes that we are ever going to see Jean-Luc Picard. That has created a new sense of urgency for me in, in getting to a more satisfying place to make sure that the the final leg of the legacy of this character is uh, is given the adequate service that it deserves. Um, so I didn't feel like this at the beginning of the episode, but by the time I saw, oh great, he's unconscious and now they need to spend even more time getting him ready enough to finally deal with what this problem is, uh, that is is getting me more impatient with this one. And Hopefully things will move along briskly in the next episode because we're running out of time. And, um, and I still like the show. Like I'm not saying, Oh, I'm writing the show off and far from it. No, I mean, Patrick Stewart's performance is good enough. And I think captain Rios is a wonderful addition to the entire canon. Seeing the development of seven is fun. Raffi is a great character. Dr. Girati. I like her a lot more than I did at this point in season one. So, um, like all of these characters are worth coming home for. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they, they, they just, they need to move things along, but um, final thoughts on this episode from, uh, from everybody else on the panel, Rachel, let's start with you. What are your final thoughts? Um, yeah, I agree with you. I just like them to kind of, kind of set things up, move along a little bit faster. Definitely could have done without all the descriptions of how the babies died uh for uh you know as as a mother um but that was pretty horrifying uh i guess i was supposed to be horrified though so yeah mission accomplished writers <laughs> uh yeah so i uh, you know agree okay ty yeah, I, I totally agree with both of you. Uh, I think, uh, you know, good choice. If you're going to run somebody over picking an electric vehicle, um, it was a good call. You know, they're quiet. Um, it got Elon Musk so upset that he uh, 
joined and then didn't join the board of Twitter. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it really does just feel like we're just doing side quest after side quest after side quest. And I still just, I don't feel like this whole conceit of Q mess something up, let's go back and unmess it up is taking us into territory that feels like like interesting like like why i watch star trek right i don't want to say it doesn't feel like star trek because uh the writers are star trek writers and so when they write something and they release it and it says star trek that that is what star trek is in fact but um you know the things that like make me want to tune into star trek are not like seeing a lovable band of scrappy characters like find their way out of their latest 2024 scrape with the law or whatever (laughs) Right. It's like encountering new worlds and new civilizations and grappling with like ethical questions and like using diplomacy to wriggle out of situations that don't seem to have an obvious way out of them. And like, I don't like not singing to create a distraction while we get away from the <laughs> NASA gala, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm rather impatient as well. All right. Cicero, take us home, my friend. What do you make of this episode in totality? I, I, uh, so this, this episode in totality feels like a filler episode and it makes me question, um, why the writers who, who seemingly are aware of us, right? Like, you know, of the, of the, the fans who, who love this new track, right. And are willing to take the rides with them on this new track. They're not trying to alienate us. So if I believe that, why would this feel like a filler episode? Why would this filler episode be here in this way? Um, Because I think you are right, Chris, right? We are going to wind up in the next episode dealing with for a a period of time, a non-insignificant period of time with Jean-Luc Picard being ready to do whatever it is, the thing that they've got to do. Right. Um, with with seemingly three episodes left um, or four episodes left. Um, and and I posit that we don't have four episodes left of season two. We've got 14 episodes left of season two that that when we get to the end of what will be the second season it will be incomplete as a season um, that we won't get some, any type of closure in, in what we're currently witnessing right now. And that it is going to be part of a uh, much bigger, much grander dual season, you know, it'll be a, a instead of two part episode, it'll be a, a two, two season um you know, finale. Will we at least get a uh, season spanning uh sweet two parter cliffhanger? <laughs> like the old days? Yeah, of of some sort, right? Like I mean, one of the best cliffhangers in in Star Trek history was Lacutus of Borg, right? So um we, and you know, I mean, who better to do another one of those cliffhangers and the guy who did it the first time around. Right. Um, so we, we, you know, we may get something where he gets shot, right? Like he gets shot by one of those, uh, 3d, 3d printed guns instead of just getting run over by an electric vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) So, but like, uh, I, I just, I, 
I can't in good conscience believe that we've got four episodes left and we're still this far behind uh, narratively for this season to, 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 to be wrapped up uh, completely or, you know, enough for it to be a season of television that I can watch at some point in the future. I just, I just don't believe that that's, that to be the case so you're saying take our impatience and strap in and get comfortable with it. <laughs> that's <laughs> yep <laughs> well uh i hope you're wrong but i also <laughs> wouldn't bet against you either so um yeah well i think i think that pretty much sums up what our general feelings are for for this entire episode uh guys we went around the world and talking about a whole host of current star trek issues so Thank you both again for uh, for attending Mission Chicago. I know you were going to anyway, but appreciate the firsthand perspective, of course, um, and uh, and sitting in on on this episode discussion. We'll probably go a little bit deeper into the next one, just because we'll probably be spending the entirety of our episode talking about the next one. But as for right now. That is going to do it for episode number 72 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute. And let us know if you wrote one, and we'll be happy to read it on the air when it's posted. Uh, if you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us next time as we discuss all the brand new goings on in the final frontier. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends.